When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to On the Preds with me, your host, Alex Darty of A to Z Sports and Sean Smith of On the Forecheck, wearing his uh, championship Atlanta Braves glasses. Those things look amazing. They're those nice. Those are great. Uh, this is the show where we recap, not baseball, but we recap the Nashville Predators. We talk hockey, we complain about things, we rant, we put things into perspective. Uh, tell me about these glasses. What's going on with these? So, I don't know if you're aware or not, Alex, but uh, earlier in the week, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. I am very much aware of this. <laughs> so, uh, it coincides with my son's birthday today, so we're having a uh, Braves uh, and Preds, obviously, themed birthday party. So, we've got, a few, uh, got about 10 of these babies that we're going to spread around. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Uh, what, a great, what a great time to have a birthday party. How, how old is your son again? He is seven today. Can you seven. imagine being a seven-year-old watching your team win the World Series? That's that's perfect. That's perfection. And, you know, what's funny is is we were talking about this at the house because, you know, the, I've got a, a about-to-be 12-year-old daughter and my son just turned seven. I got to see my team when I was younger win the World Series when I was 10 mm-hmm. um, in 1989. So that was, a, that was a big deal for me. And I said, you realize, like, I haven't seen that happened since then so you better enjoy this while you're getting the chance because you don't know how long it's going to be and my wife is a lifelong Braves fan and she's like yeah look it's been since uh 1995 it's you you better relish it while you can so the fact that they're getting it young is awesome I'm really happy for them uh 1989 is that the twins that was the Oakland A's oh Oakland A's right yeah I'm sorry yeah Yeah. that was the that was the uh the Battle of the Bay World Series, the Earthquake World Series, all that good stuff. There you go. Yes, of course, of course, of course. Yes, yeah, I lived the, in the, the twin, the the Athletics, and the that was a that, yeah, that's a good that was a good World Series. It that's was. I lived in the Bay Area. That's where I grew up. So that was that's right. it was big for me. Okay, well, let's talk about the Nashville Predators. Uh, it's been a, a an important week for them. A lot of big things have happened, and a lot of. Uh, some, some some not so good things, some not some not great news, uh, but then also a couple of nice wins. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's get into the recaps. First of all, Tuesday against the Calgary Flames, everyone's favorite. A Tuesday against Calgary, that's what everyone loves. Mm. Uh, but this one was not a snooker. Um, this oh. was uh, the, the Predators uh, ended up getting a win here. Luke Cunning tips home the first his first goal of the year to make it one nothing Preds. Then Calgary answers right back on the power play. Matthew Kachuk, who is a former future Buffalo Sabre. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was supposed to be going to the Buffalo Sabres for Jack Eichel. That never happened. No. Um, but he scores. And then Philip Forsberg, more on him later, puts the Preds back on top 2-1. to one. And then the second period was pretty forgettable. Only 13 shots by, by both teams in that middle frame. Then in the third period, UC Soros does a lot, keeps it close. Oliver Killington, which is the best name ever, ties it for Calgary. And then Matt Duchesne 
gets the win off of a nice pass from Mikhail Granlin on a two-on-one in overtime, and the Predators win three to two is the final. Let's go ahead and talk about this game Tuesday against Calgary. Now, keep in mind, this was the Braves World Series game, so yeah. I did not watch a ton of this game, but I did watch enough of it to know what happened. Uh, what do you remember? So I, I'll tell you, it was it was really kind of interesting because, like I mentioned before, my my wife's a lifelong Braves fan, so that was on in the in the in the living room. Everybody was watching in there. The kids are watching in there. I was the lone outcast in the back, you know, watching the, watching yeah. the Preds game. And um, I was trying to give updates. I watched the first period. I watched the second period, and everyone was like, you know, you're gonna you're gonna miss you're gonna miss this. So I, I had to head out and watch the end of the world series. And as I was kind of walking back and forth, I said, Hey, you know, it's tied up going into overtime and all this stuff. And then of course the Braves win. And right in the yeah. middle of that celebration, I walk, I walk to the back and, I, and I'm watching overtime and then boom, they scored. And it was, it was uh, yeah. really at this house, it was a massive cause for celebration. It was I, all of I the did. things you could want. Yeah. I, I have to just full disclosure. I did not watch one single second of this Preds game live. I didn't watch any of it live. I watched all the highlights. I went back and watched, you know, the, all the goals and everything. And I knew what was happening. I mean, I was kind of tracking it on my phone. Uh, but just to be honest, I mean, I, you know, when your team is in the World Series and, and on the verge of winning it for the first time in 26 years, uh, that was pretty important to me. Yeah. So anyways, but having said all that, it was a nice win. I mean, Calgary, Calgary was a, a, a tough opponent for the Predators. And uh, Matthew Shane has a really nice goal. We have another goal for Matthew Shane that we're going to show in a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean that, that's a, that's an important win. Kick the kick the road trip off with a nice overtime win. So, you know, I, you have to be realistic too. And I mean, if anyone's going to say like, "Oh, you didn't watch the game live," I mean, if the <laughs> if let's just say the stars lined up and the Predators were in the uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals and they were, I don't know, up three games and they had a big lead, I don't think we would watch. You know, a uh, Tuesday night baseball game against uh you know miami or anything like that i don't think it would be exactly the most important thing in the world so. exactly yeah yeah it's okay don't don't yeah. feel bad I, I love that matt duchene goal though and that was yeah you know he was he was out there for quite a while um on that goal and that was the big thing was you know mm -hmm. he was he was probably ready for a change had been ready for a change for a while but the opportunity showed up and he got down the ice and made it happen and, yeah. you know that's we, I think we've said that the recurring theme is that's what you want out of these top line guys is you want that commitment. You want that drive to, to make things happen. And I think, I think you're seeing that and that's, that's the best you could ask for right now. Yeah, it, it, it uh, that is, that is great. And more on, more on Matt Duchesne later, we're going to talk about his really nice start and uh, his goal um, on Friday night as well. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into the next night in Edmonton. They had a back-to-back -back Calgary Edmonton, and we learned before the game. I want to say it was like an hour before the game uh, that Philip Forsberg is out with an upper body injury and is deemed week to week. Mark Borowiecki also injured, but less serious. He was actually skating yesterday, I think. Um, but Philip Forsberg out with an upper body. We don't know anything about the injury. We just know that he's out week to week, as is becoming a trend for him. So we'll talk more about that, too. Connor Ingram is in net for this game for his second-ever NHL start. And for a while, he does really well. But remember, it's the Edmonton Oilers. They're 7-1. and one. I think they're like 8-1 and one or 9-1 and one now. They're definitely 8-1. I think they're 9-1. and one. 
Uh, very good team. And the Predators, they keep it close at one and one, and then and then it's two to one Oilers in the second. But then in the third, the Oilers just pour it on. Pour it on. David finishes with two assists. Dry has two goals and an assist. And then Edmonton just dominates the third period. They are very, very good. Much better than the Predators right now, that's for sure. Five to two is the final. I don't know that there's much we can take from this, but uh, you know what? What did you? What do you remember about this game? I remember that this is a funny thing. You go back to how long has it been since the Predators have seen some of these teams. And and while I will say that you do see a lot of names changing when you revisit a, a team you haven't seen in a while, what hasn't changed with the Oilers is their speed. And, uh, you know, this was the case the last time the teams played each other. It, it doesn't matter if you're playing that slow, heavy, wear them down game, you've got to catch them to play it. And, and that's what makes it hard against a team like this is there's some fast guys beyond uh, McDavid and Drysaddle. So it's, it's mm-hmm. I don't know, you're going to have to either put on an offensive show and just get really lucky, or you're going to have to catch them and wear them out in order to beat them. And that's, yeah. that's been the, the, the routine now since, well, I mean, since the last time the teams met, which has been quite a while. Part of me thinks that the Oilers will eventually regress and become that team that that just loses games that it shouldn't lose and goaltending falls apart and um, defensively they're not as good. But I, I really think the Duncan Keith ad was a sneaky good ad. I mean, the the, the Chicago Blackhawks are a mess for a lot of reasons right now. And, like, so th- them just dealing off a guy like Duncan Keith, who's not been awful. I mean, he's he's been fine. His contract is big, that's for sure. But he's not been awful. I think he's been okay for the Oilers. He's been fine. And Seth Jones has not been good for Chicago. So um, that was a that was an odd move. I think that was really good for Edmonton getting a leader like that and a proven winner. Um, so yeah, I mean Edmonton's very good. Um, we'll, we'll probably talk more about that game as well. Let's go ahead and wrap up the next night or not sorry, the next night, the next game Friday night in Vancouver. And lo and behold. For the Nashville Predators, the special teams demons get exercised. The Predators had given up, listen to this, 19 power play goals in their last 10 games against the Canucks, including three games ago now, five power play goals in one game, which is insane. And they'd only scored six power play goals themselves. So the special teams was this huge gap with Vancouver. But in this game... The Predators go five for five on the PK. They shut them out on the on on the uh, Vancouver power play, and they go two for three on their own power play. So a huge swing, and that is basically what won this game. Roman Yossi scores first. Matthew Shane had a nice breakaway goal, which I'll show in a second, and then also Ooh. Philip Tomasino had a really slick power play goal um, that we'll also show as well. Um, special teams was the key to the night. UC Saros was also spectacular. He had twenty six saves including at least two point-blank saves that were really, really nice. Uh, Predators win this one 3-2 final. Um, to, to really talk about this game, I first want to show actually the Tomasino goal because I think this was uh, – um, and I want to show his his quote after the game. So let's talk about the, let's talk about that after we show this goal. This was the goal – eventually the game-winning goal from Philip right. Tomasino to make it three uh, – that led to the 3-2 final. Here you go. Goes to the side and Tucker Pullman gambles, spreads out. Pullman comes across and you can see him sprawl out, tries to cut off the pass, but he doesn't. So Thatcher Demko's in at the mercy. 
Just an excellent play all around. That is what you want to see from your power play. But I want to play this clip too really quick. This is Philip Tomasino after the game talking about this goal. And this was in response to a question I had for him about that play there. Uh, how much of that play was creativity and instinct by the players on the ice, by you guys on the ice? And how much of it was something that had been coached by the coached into their into their uh play there so like how much of it was coaching versus how much of it was just player skill i guess uh and here his here was his response yeah i mean um i mean i think lots of lots of practice uh for sure but uh we kind of you know talked about that on the bench and uh, we we're actually talking about uh you know going from from novak to, to kind of to me back door and actually right before i had scored that goal so it's kind of funny that uh, it worked out so I think just obviously we've, we've practiced a lot in practice, but um, it was it was kind of funny because we we would just talked about doing that play and, and ended up working out. So it was uh, it was a pretty cool moment and it was uh, it was a great goal for us for sure. So, so they they predicted it, they called yeah. it, right? I love it. That's that, that that to me is pretty awesome that they that they were talking about that exact play, and it, I think it says a lot of things uh, about the power play. I mean, I, I don't want to get too much into, well, the coaches don't need to be there. They don't need to be influencing them anymore. Clearly, the players are better at, at drawing up things. I don't think that's fair. But it is interesting that they they knew that they could make that happen, right? They, they Tom, Tommy Novak, Luke Cunnan, and Philip Tomasino knew that they could make those passes, that it was going to be there, and that Tomasino knew he, he, he could finish on the back door pretty easily. So um, what, did, what did you think about that? Well, so – you know, I think you're right. You don't want to say, oh, well, the coaches don't need to be there. It's not important because clearly that's not the case. But there is something to be said for the guys that are on the ice, that are doing the work, that that know their capabilities, know what they can do, and they have a feel for what's going on in the game. And, and one of the things to really think about, and this is what this is what's always shocking to me, is whenever we're watching whenever we're watching a game, you know, we're watching it like if you and I are covering the game at Bridgestone, we've got like an eagle eye view from way up high. You know, uh -huh. um, if you watch any football game on TV, you're, you're looking down at that field. When you're down level on that field, you see things in a totally different way. Yep. And even the coaches being off to the side aren't seeing what the players are seeing. So having that experience of being out on the ice, knowing what they're capable of and knowing how the game has been going, seeing those tendencies of what maybe the, the goalkeeper is doing on the other team or, what, how they're able to draw him off to one side and kind of get him to bite on it. You know, that's, that's what you want your players to be able to do is take the coaching they've been given, take their skill set, and apply it to the game. And it, when it works out like that, that's great. And you want that to keep happening. But, of course, yeah. if, it, if it stops working, that's when it's, you got to quit being creative out there and just do what we say. So, there's again, like everything, it's a fine line. But it worked out, and it was beautiful. And I, I couldn't ask for more right now. The, the, the biggest issue with the power play for, for years now has been the lack of cross-ice passing. And it, 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 this, this has been an issue in, in, at 5-on-5 five five as well. But, but specifically, the power play has been uh, a problem. And if you watch the power play as much as we have over the last several years, I mean, it is just I – could, I, could, I could close my eyes hear, and hear that the Predators on the power play – and be describing exactly where the puck is going every time. Like yeah. I just know what's going to happen. Yeah. They're, it's when they, when they gain the zone, which is not very often, they're going to have a uh, a triangle set up with Roman Yossi at the top, Philip Forsberg on one side, Tolvanen on the other, or whoever the other whoever the other side is, and they're just going to pass it, and they're just going to keep passing, and they're never going to go through the middle of the ice. 
They're going to have someone down low that's going to occasionally get and receive the puck and send it around and rim it around, and then they're just going to keep doing that. The cross-ice passes are almost never there, and they almost never attempt them. And watch any respectable power play, and they do that all the time. Tampa, even Chicago back in the day when they were really good. Uh, Vegas is good at that. I mean, Colorado, all of the good power plays – have this really dynamic passing across the middle. And, 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 you know, here's the other thing. They, they try it more often. So it doesn't work every time, but they also try it more often. This team is like, has this blinder where they're just like, okay, all we, all we're going to do is we got to get it back to Roman Yossi at the top of the key because or not the key, but the, the top of the top of the zone, because we know that he's going to be able to maintain possession. They're so scared about losing possession and about not making something happen that they don't ever try it anymore. So then when you see a play like that where Thomasine is on the back door and Cunning finds him, it's just great. It, that's a great thing to see. Well, it seems shocking, too, because it's so different than what you're used to. And, and the reality is if we saw that happen a lot more and we saw that miss with that a lot more, we might be saying, like, oh, hey, it worked out this time. Whereas, yeah. you know, I think that has a higher chance of working out more often than those perimeter passes. And, and, you know, they hardly ever work. And, of course, you go back a few years to the whole, you know, the blue line shots over and over again with the idea of that's one way to get the puck up close is to fire it in as hard as you can and then try to clean up the, the scraps after that. I mean, sometimes that works, but I think you're a lot better off trying to, trying to open up some space on that goalie, get the puck across the ice and find him, you know, where he's where – he's, got a bite on the other side and you've got the back door wide open. Yeah. You need to see more of that. That's, that's what I want to see. And I see it happening and I like it. And I feel like they're going to take it away from me. <laughs> and they got, they got so used to, you know, they, they got used to for years, obviously the Shea Weber on the power play PK Subban when he was there, but even Roman Yossi now, like they got, they, they got so used to these, these shots from the blue line that just, um, you know, they work every now and then. And when they work, they look cool, but, they're just not the most productive way to score, especially on the power play. And then not only that, but they also got used to having Forsberg on the wing on that right circle scoring with his wrist shot. I mean, he, he's good at that, but it, you know, he doesn't, it's not like, it's not like an Ovechkin level of, of success rate here. I mean, it's not like, it's not like uh, people are not going to call it the Forsberg spot anytime soon because he doesn't score every time there. He, he does it well. He's very good at it. Uh, Tolvanen, same thing. You know, he hasn't really had a chance on that left side. I don't think yet. I mean, he's not really, uh, I don't think he's scoring the power play yet. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't think he has, um, this, this year, I mean, um, and so, so you need, you need playmakers. You need guys who can read plays. You need guys who are willing to make those passes like we saw. So, um, yeah, anyways, we, we've kind of, we've kind of hit that, hit that pretty hard. So, uh, I want to move on to Matt Duchesne. Okay. Uh, before we talk about Matt Duchesne, I want to show his goal from Friday night in Vancouver. By the way, if I didn't mention, Predators won that game in Vancouver. Three to two is the final. Uh, and they've won five of the last six games, which is, you know, the Preds are bad, but they also might be good. I don't know. Five of six games, that's pretty good. Who knows? Um, so, Matt Duchesne, let's look at this goal. I, th- there's there's a lot of reasons to like Matt Duchesne's play right now, and this player right here is one of them. Um and a couple specific things about what he does here, I think, that are really good to see. But let's go ahead and watch it. Leah's Patterson. Now, Brock Besser is the other defenseman. Besser is the guy filling in for Quinn Hughes. And he can't quite get back on Matt Duchesne, who, in, what a move. 
fake shot, and you can see Thatcher Demko goes for that shot. Drops the shoulder, and Thatcher Demko just... Ooh, that is one goal right there. Um, so when I see that play, when I watch that goal from Matthew Shane, he might as well be wearing a Colorado Avalanche jersey, and it might as well be 2014 because that is what he looks like right there. He's playing with speed. He's playing with decisiveness where he knows what he's going to do with the puck, and he finishes. And from 2011 through 2014, that was Matt Duchesne in Colorado. In Colorado, He was incredibly good with the puck. He was finishing plays like that. He was playing with speed. That's what I see right there. Well, that's what you want to see, isn't it? I mean, I think what's hard is you look back to when the Predators made that three-way trade where Duchesne was involved, but they landed tourists. Um, you know, you're talking about 2011 to 2014, whereas 2017 is three seasons removed from that. Yeah. Uh, and then you look ahead to, um, which unfortunately, you know, the, the tourist experiment did, did not yield the results that anyone had hoped, obviously. Um, but you pick up Duchesne a couple of years later, a couple of seasons later, um, develops this really strong and fast uh, relationship with LaViolette. And then you see, you know, they're kind of on the same page about how they like to play hockey. Then LaViolette's mm-hmm. gone not too long after that. Hines comes in, and then you're, you're just finding your way. Um, yeah. And so I think I, I'm hoping that one thing I've been saying all along is that you know, if you give John Hines time, he's going to get things going the way they need to be going. And I think hopefully there's there's some kind of uh, synergy between those two now where that's kind of what you see happening is that he's he's able to start playing the game he wants to play. Hines knows how to use him the right way. Um, and he's I don't I don't like to use the term feeling himself because that's what the kids would say. And I'm clearly not one of the kids, but um, he seems like he is a lot more who he's supposed to be. He seems like he's more comfortable in that gold jersey, if that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, he's he's willing to uh, enforce his will or you know impose his will upon the other team, and that's what you want to see. He's he's out there doing it. It's good. Yeah, it, 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 that's exactly right. And um, the other thing about his start is so he has he has ten points in his first eleven games. Uh, that he's got a 2.9 points per 60 minutes, but he's also, he's shooting 13.5%. So it's not like he's shooting 30% and that's going to come down. He's not shooting like a crazy percentage, right? He's not like, um, um, well, there's a, you can find a ton, tons of players who've had great starts who had, have had crazy high shooting percentages where you just knew that that was going to come down. His PDO is real reasonable. His shooting percentage is very reasonable. It's right around his career average. He's just making more plays. He's, he's shooting more. He's got – well, first of all, he's also got better line mates. That doesn't hurt. Um, he's no longer having to – he's no longer out there with, you know, Nick Cousins and uh, Cali Yarncroke and Rocco Grimaldi. All fine players, but not – they're not Mikhail Granlund, and they're no. not Matt, uh, Philip Forsberg, and they're not Ryan Johansson. So um, he's got he's got a little bit better – better start here going on. And I think that's really encouraging for, for this team. I mean, obviously they need it. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that, that's good to see. I, I, I don't know 
how much we can really expect that to continue. I mean, we'll see, we'll see what the next few weeks looks like. I think the biggest issue right now is that Philip Forsberg is out with an injury. Um, what did you, what did you make of that? What do you make of Philip Forsberg being out and, and uh, what, what, what's that going to look like for the next few weeks for this team? I, you know, I, it's hard for me because I feel like we've kind of come to a point as a fan base where you're expecting it to happen at some point. Um, and I don't, I don't like that feeling as, you know, Forsberg can get off to a hot start um, and you're like, wow, he's going to score 82 goals this season. He's scoring a goal a game and it's everything's great. And then there's some kind of injury, mm-hmm. takes him out for several weeks. He comes back and then it takes him a while to find it. Um, we've seen it happen where he gets off to a very slow start, gets injured, comes back, starts slow again, then gets hot. And you're like, man, what would a full season of healthy Philip Forsberg look like? Um, yeah. I think, you know, I asked John Hines after I want to say it was the Edmonton game um, where you saw Connor Ingram coming in to give UC Soros a break on the second night of a back-to-back. You saw Ben Harper come in uh, with Borvietsky out, and you saw Rocco Grimaldi come in with Philip Forsberg out. And I think you know what you're going to see is, and it's not as simple as it was last season. Last season, that taxi squad made it very easy to have players ready to go in. And yes. with a team like the Predators, you know, it really benefited them because they didn't have a lot of COVID issues like some teams did. But because that taxi squad is available to them, you kind of had this rotating cast. Well, at this point, if you have an injured forward, you get Rocco Grimaldi, and he's going to come in and play. But Hines said that he thinks it speaks very well to that next man up mentality that they had embraced so much last year. He thinks it's even going to be, you know, more so this year because that next man up is going to come from such a limited pool. Everybody knows that one in, we're one injury away from me being on that ice and being ready to go. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how much line juggling you're going to see, how much line blendering you're going to see, but as long as you're getting results, I don't think it's going to change too much. You don't have a lot of wiggle room to bring in another forward without sending somebody down. Whether that's, you know, you'd have to send, say, Grimaldi down to bring somebody else up at this point or Novak down. But why would you send Novak down at this point? Why would yeah, you I send think, Grimaldi down? It's I not, think it would have to be, I, would, I think it would have to be Novak. Grimaldi would have to clear waivers. And that's I, true. I, I, doubt, I doubt that he would. But uh, yeah, for, the Forsberg thing is really frustrating for a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously they, they need him in the lineup because he's their most dangerous individual forward just in terms of scoring. He's just, he can, he can do a lot of things that a lot of other players can't. Um, but what does this do for, for this season? I mean, like, it's a very strange situation with him where obviously the, the contract talks have not gotten anywhere and, you know, but you also can't trade a guy who, well, you also lose a little bit of trade value if the guy's just sitting there injured. Um, so, you know, I, I would imagine that teams would still, if, if he's, if he's healthy, if he gets out of this and he's healthy and he's back to scoring goals again, his value is probably just the same as it ever was. But if this injury lingers on into February and yeah. he's, you know, unable to be traded, then then the Predators are just screwed because the the price of him is going to go down. People are not going to teams are not going to pay very much for a guy like that. They don't know he's going to be back, and uh, but they also can't just let him sit on the on the team the rest of the year and then not sign him. Right. So, yeah, man, it's frustrating. Like you need the guy to be back. You need him to be healthy. So. And it's it's not a it's not a discussion that a lot of people are going to want to hear either because for yeah. so many people the idea of a predators team without Forsberg is 
not appealing at all. But I mean, in reality, that's what we have right now is a Predators team without Forsberg, and they're putting together wins. It's it's not ideal, but it's also a very potential reality in the future because, yeah. like you said, something's going to have to happen at some point, right? You know, I I think I tweeted something like, I don't know, this must have been at least three years ago now, probably more like four years ago, when Forsberg was scoring 20 to 30 goals a year and just looking at the pace and looking at his contract, I want to say it was – I want to say it was four years ago, probably sometime around 2017, probably around the, the Stanley Cup final stuff. I remember thinking, looking at the numbers and being like, well, Philip Forsberg is going to break the Preds' goal scoring record, all time goal scoring record, which is 210 with David Legwan. He will 100% break that by the time this contract is up because at that point he was, he had five years left on his contract. He'd already scored like, I don't know, 60, 70 goals. And I was like, he's going to do this. And now that's not going to happen. I mean, that, it's straight up not going to happen. Now he could still break it if they resign him. Obviously, if they resign sure. to another contract, but that's not going to happen for a lot of reasons. Number one, he's had injuries. Number two, they had the COVID shortened season a couple times, and then now he's got another injury when he needs like twenty eight goals to get there. Um, yeah, so that I don't think that's going to happen. And uh, now you're like, man, who, who's who's ever going to unseat? David Leguan in terms of goal scoring. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And that's pretty sad because 210 career goals is not that high of a number for a franchise. <laughs> um, so that's kind of sad. But Well, I want to say two things. It sounds like you're just uh, adding some fuel to the fire and trying to get Forsberg back and really get him fired up. And I hope that's yeah. what it is. Um, yeah. But I, I want to say that if, if, if things don't go well and Forsberg ends up in a different team at the trade deadline or next season – and he doesn't break that score, the goal, the goal record for the team. I'm going to say, he said, who's going to do it? It's going to be Philip Tomasino. Oh, yeah, okay. Get right. that out there now, and it's going to happen on the record soon. early. November of 2021, Sean called it. Go. I don't, I don't hate that. That's a probably good, probably because he's at least probably going to be around a lot longer. I mean, who knows what'll happen? But I think he'll be, you know. I mean, that's that's a good thing to talk about. I mean, like Tomasino, I was looking at this recently. You know, he's obviously it's very, very short in the season. I mean, we've, we've only had a few games, 11. He's played in nine games, three goals and one assist. But the guy is 20 years old, and we've got – the Predators have not had a 20-year-old come in and even have that kind of production in, in no. a while. Most of their 20-year-olds are in Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, they don't really get a solid shot until 21-22, like Tolvanen, uh, for example, Arvidsson, mm -hmm. Forsberg. Um like that guy's already producing and I don't think they can take him out of the lineup anytime soon. And uh, just a 20 year old. So that's, that's gotta be really good to see. I love it. I'm, I'm excited. I think, I think there's potential there for that. So I just, I just want to make sure everybody heard it now yeah. <laughs> in 2021. So they're like, you know, he says that's this right. is coming. <laughs> I don't think it's that crazy of a bit, but we'll see. Let's talk a little bit about the defense because, um, and actually I want to talk about a good thing on the defense first that I, I kind of uh, didn't prepare a lot for, but I, I just wanted to mention, um, you know, the top four has been pretty good. And I think the, the, the best, obviously the best pairing has been the Yossi Fabro pairing. Um, Dante Fabro is having a great start to the season. I mean, we, we should at least mention that. I mean, the Dante Fabro leads the team in 
uh, I'm sorry, not leads the team, but um, I'm sorry, I just said that. He's he's among among the best defenders. Him and Roman Yossi um, are among the team leaders in core C4 and shot attempts four percentage, expected goals, not allowing a ton of uh, of chances the other way. They've been a great pairing, and I think that's that's really encouraging to see. I I think it's the Dante Fabro revenge tour. Personally, <laughs> I think you know I think he caught a lot of grief last season. Um, mm-hmm. How much of it was merited, you know, that's that's up to the uh, public to judge. But I, I think realistically, you know, he's. I think everybody tends to forget that he came straight to the NHL from college. Yeah, and and he wasn't exactly thrown into um, a real cherry situation because it was you know straight into the playoffs for you, young man. Yeah, um, you're supposed to be taking your finals, but instead you're in the you're in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and you know his his poor start to his whole career has been some playoffs, shortened season, odd season, and now this should be his first full season. And I think when you look at all of those interruptions, it's it's just I'm not going to use the word fair, but I, I think it's definitely not been the greatest hand he's been dealt. So I think some normalcy, the uh, the benefit of a of a full training camp, the benefit of just being able to do normal things when it comes to going to the arena and practicing and being with the team is going to do him a world of good. So I'm I'm glad that it's starting to show that people are starting to notice it because quite frankly. Everybody was just talking bad about him for a long time, and I think it made I think it made a lot of people sad. A lot of the Favreau family was disappointed with the way the fan base was reacting. And he got he gets this contract in the on the, this this past summer two two point four million per uh, for over two years, so two two years of that, uh, a really pretty reasonable contract for the Predators considering the production they're getting out of it right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, I, it's not really a, a prove it contract because it's not a bad, it's not a bad deal. I mean, it's four point eight million dollars. That's not, that's not bad. It, I think that it do what? It's enough for me. I could live off yeah. that the rest of my life. I, I, I certainly could too. We could, we could share that, and we'd be fine, right? Just fine. <laughs> uh, but you know, I just got through mentioning uh, talking about Tomasino being a twenty year old. Fabro made his debut at, at twenty years old. Only played in four games that year. Uh, that was the 2019 season they played when they played Dallas. He didn't play in that series, I don't think. Or no, actually, maybe he did play in that series. I can't remember. But um, but then he he's been the whole next year was his first first year that the the shutdown year, the 60 whatever games it was, yeah. um, 19 and 20. Uh, so yeah, he's had he's had not only to to leave college and go directly into the NHL, but also had the most disruptive couple of hockey seasons we can imagine. Uh, as the first two developmental seasons in the league. So it makes sense that he's now finally starting to figure it out. After after all of this that's happened, he's had only one training camp over the last like three years. So the guy finally is getting a chance to to do that. So yeah, that's a great point by you. I, I don't think I don't think anyone was necessarily thinking ill will towards Dante Fabro the way they might be about a different Preds defenseman we might talk about in a second. Uh, but Dante Fabro definitely proven it. Yeah, you're right. Um, so let's move on to that topic. So um, I know that that uh, a lot of people don't like Ben Harper <laughs> right now, to say the least. Uh, I, and look, let's let's talk let's talk just real about this for a second. Ben Harper really does not belong in the NHL right now. That doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything bad about him as a person, but he really isn't an NHL defenseman. I mean, when you watch things that happen on the ice 
frequently. Uh, he really just belongs in the AHL. I, I, and I think, I think he, even in the AHL, I think he would be bottom pairing defenseman in the AHL just based on what I based on what we're seeing. I mean, the guy has, the guy has a certain set of skills that work. I mean, he's got some size. He can, he can body up guys in the defensive zone, but in the, in, in the NHL, it just isn't there, but he continues to get time on the ice uh, over someone like a Philip Myers, who the predators traded away Ryan Ellis to get. Um, that's confusing. And then there's also other defensemen who you feel like could probably, if they were struggling, you would feel better about one of those is Myers. Who's a pretty young guy. If Jeremy Davies was up here, if, if D- David Ferentz was up here, even if Allard was up here, I mean, these are all guys that I think would be, if they were struggling in this situation, you'd be like growing pains. They'll get out of it. They'll, right. they'll, they'll become better players. But when it's Ben Harper, who's what, 28 or something like that. And he's, he's not, he's not a, a future prospect by any means. Uh, 27, he's 27 years old. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. This whole situation doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, here's the thing. And I think if I've, if I have made myself known for anything in the time that I've been covering this team, I'm the champion of the third pairing defenders. And, and I, th- <laughs> I don't know if it was just, uh, the product of, of this, the overwhelming positive feelings I have for, for Tony Batetto. Um, I don't know, but my thing is I'll, I'll say this. I think a lot of third pairing defenders catch a lot of crap from a lot of people because they're not top pairing defenders and they're not expected to be out there for 25 minutes a night. And the reason they're not expected to be out there for 25 minutes a night is because they're quite frankly, not going to be able to play at the level that the 25 minute a night defender is going to be able to play at. And and now that I've got that out there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So take away some of that layer of expectation from your third pairing defender and say, okay, what do we need them to go out there to do? Well, we got to be realistic when it comes to a budget for a team, when it comes to the salary cap, your third pairing defender is not going to take up much of that cap space. You can't expect them to, be an $8 million a year. Well, maybe that's not the best comparison, but you can't expect them to be Roman Yossi. You've got to have lower expectations. I think what everybody wants to see is, okay, you're not going to be out there that long. We need you to be solid defensively for a couple of shifts every, every, uh, you know, every cycle and uh, just don't do anything stupid. Stay on your man, get to the net, you know, just make sure bad stuff doesn't happen while you're out there. Just where you're there to give the other guys a chance to catch their breath, get their legs back under them, and be ready to go. If you can just do just that, think, we're going to be happy. I, I, I hear what you're saying. Expectations, yes, I, that definitely makes sense. But why? Why are they not playing Philip Myers? I, I don't what know. The, what are the expectations for him? That's a guy that you traded away your a, a, a possible Norris Trophy winner on a big contract, mind you, but a possible Norris Trophy winner. Uh, to get him and Cody Glass, and neither one of those players are playing right now. And the biggest, the biggest surprise of those two players not playing is Philip Myers because yeah. that guy played a ton in Philadelphia. He played already at the beginning of this year, and then now he doesn't seem to have any injury designation, and he's just a healthy scratch. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me at all. Okay, take take that, and I I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. It makes a lot more sense from the way you're thinking about things to have Myers out there. But I, I have to say. You've, you've seen Coach Hines. You've talked to him as much as I have. 
he values identity when it comes to lines. And you have to yeah. assume that as much as everyone gets super pumped up about the, the fourth line or what's been playing as the third line, the herd line, um, there's got to be an identity for that third, that third pair. And I, I don't know. I know that he wants big guys out there. He, he wants big guys that aren't afraid to throw their weight around, guys that can be out there and punch somebody in the face if they need to, somebody who can manhandle guys on the other team. Um, that identity right now seems to be the most important for that third pairing. Um, is that the role you want Philip Myers playing right now? Maybe not. I know that he started the season wearing the cage. He had uh, some kind of injury to his nose, to his face. Uh, for for whatever reason, maybe that's just not who they want out there bumping into people and being extra physical. I don't know if that's a trend that's going to continue, but I, I do know that Harper's out there because Borvieski's not, and Borvieski's yeah. not because of the injury. Um, the, I'm yeah, not the depth, saying the depth chart. The depth chart for that left side pairing or the left side of that pairing seems to be Borvieski, Harper, and then Myers right now. Unless, yeah, for right now, and whether that's because they're just, you know, look, it's nothing that requires putting him on IR. We just don't want him out there in a position where he, we're going to say, hey, go be extra physical, and then he might end up getting getting injured again or hurt worse. And that's that's all I can think. Yeah, I, I just, I, I in, on the interest of size, let's let's not forget that Philip Myers is six five. So Philip Myers is six five. He's not quite as big as Ben Harper, but he's pretty close. I mean, he's not. He's no, he's no puny guy. He's not, he's not like a real skinny. He's not Ryan Ellis. You know, he's not, he's, no. he's, he's a bigger dude. So like, he's not, he can bring that element. I, I just, the problem that I have is that we just haven't even seen them try it yet. I mean, he played in three games. Um, I think I think all three of those games were losses. Um, and, or maybe at least two of them were. And um, I, I, I don't, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I think from an asset um management standpoint it's also really bad because um why why did you why did you feel comfortable acquiring this guy if you weren't going to play him so I, that that's my biggest confusion i and i get that i totally get that and i i don't claim to understand everything that's happening all the time on the team but my my guess is that for whatever reason that is a I know as as the head coach what Ben Harper can bring to the ice in every, you know, on every aspect. I know what he can bring physically. I know what he can bring defensively. And right now I'm more interested in that physical presence than I am in the defensive capabilities. It, maybe that's what it is. It, yeah. is. it doesn't sound like a great answer, but, I mean, that could realistically be what it is. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Um, let's move on to a couple other topics. I know that, uh, one thing that you wanted to mention was Connor Ingram. Um, uh, so David Riddick comes back from the COVID protocol. Still haven't seen him in net, but we'll, uh, might get a chance coming up. I don't know. Uh, but he come, so he comes back, Connor Ingram gets sent down to AHL. I think that's a good thing for Milwaukee because they, they'll be, they've been in dire need of, uh, of having a, a good, good goaltender. Now that Milwaukee's not off to a very good start. So I think they'll, they'll, they'll really use him. But what did, what did you think of that? Uh, Connor Ingram uh, returning or sorry, uh, Connor Ingram getting sit down when David Riddick returned. Well, I, I think, you know, and the reason I really wanted to talk about it is because just monitoring the social media, you, you see people, what I would say overreacting and not necessarily overreacting, but reacting out of a place of not really knowing how the game works when it comes to player movement like that. 
And a lot of people see this move happen the day after what some might say was a bad loss um, to Edmonton. Oh. But it, it's not, it had nothing to do with the loss. Um, they didn't sign Riddick for Ingram to be the backup. They signed yeah. Riddick for Riddick to be the backup. Ingram got the chances he got because Riddick was on the COVID list or in the COVID protocol. And now that he is healthy and back and ready to play, the best thing for Connor Ingram in regards to his development is to go to Milwaukee and be their starter, as opposed to getting the second half of a back-to-back throughout the season when this is more than likely the guy that the Predators want to be their number two next season. It's a lot better for everybody if he's able to come in next season having played a majority of games to be ready to go as a backup instead of playing a few games this season and then playing a few games next season. I think that makes more sense. Riddick was the intended backup this season. He's healthy now. You're not going to carry three goaltenders on your roster. So yeah, give the guy a chance to play. M- Milwaukee in their uh, in his first game back, on, which was actually last night, last night he played for, for Milwaukee against the the – the wild Iowa wild five, two win. I uh, got, got the win for them. So like, I, I think it's, I think it's as much about everything that you said is completely accurate and, and, and everything you said is perfect. I won't repeat anything. David Riddick is the backup to UC Soros. Connor Ingham really needs to get a lot of starts. <clears throat> he needs to play every day um, except on back to backs and uh, that he will do that in Milwaukee young guy i think he's he's potentially going to be on this team for a very long time if yeah. if uh, something if uc soros doesn't uh, sign long time and then when askarov comes over connor ringram will probably be a staple of this team if, if they if they really want him to be so um yeah that makes sense and then the other thing uh that you wanted to mention was something about edmonton something about uh mcdavid and, and dry Sidle. is that what you were going to talk about yeah i <laughs> And, and I don't know if, 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 A, if you picked up on this yourself, or B, if, you, uh, if it even bothers you at all. But uh, the last two times that the teams have played, it seems like uh, the first time it was – or the last time – well, okay, this past time, this past week, was in Edmonton. But the time before that, I want to say it was like the night of the tornado um, in, 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 in Nashville. They played in Nashville, or maybe oh. – I think that's when they played in Nashville the last time, but it was really surprising. Cause I remember that was back when we could sit, we were still down in the locker room and, and everything after the game. And it seems like, and of course Edmonton has, has just tons of media, a lot of people that cover the Canadian teams like that. So when, when you have one of those Canadian teams come to Nashville, it's always a little bit like, wow, there's a lot of people in here. Mm-hmm. And, and we go into that coach's, conference i guess and you had extra people and they're there from to cover the oilers and they had sent someone in and he had asked john hines what it was like playing against well what was it like playing against uh leon dreisaitl and of course i think that was the night dreisaitl scored like you know 17 goals against the team or something (laughs) ridiculous i mean it was like i I was gonna i love leon dreisaitl I, i i love him i love to watch him play i think outside of the predators he's probably one of my favorite players to watch. And uh, it just seemed odd to come in to the, to the coaches meeting after just a, just a savage beating by, by the opposing team and say to the coach, oh, what, was, what was it like playing against that guy? Like, what, do you, what do you expect the man to say? 
Like, well, you know, there's a lot of flaws in his game, some things. He's like, no, he, he, he kicked our butts. Like, he's great. Like, it just seems weird. Like, it's – I mean, I don't want to say it's kicking somebody when they're down, but it just seemed out of place to me. And mm-hmm. then after the after the game this week, it was the same thing. Somebody asked Roman Yossi, what was it like playing against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl? What do you want the man to say? Like, yeah. <laughs> what's he supposed to – I mean, okay, look, they just beat us. We didn't love it. It didn't feel good. And now you're going to make me talk about how great they are as players. Why don't do that? Why would that you do is that? Very weird. That's a very weird thing to ask. Weird. I think part of it, and, and I'm, I'm just going to take a stab here. I, I, I'm pretty sure that I've only seen that from a lot of the Canadian team's media. From Edmonton, from Toronto, from Montreal especially. Those three teams, they have a, a certain media type that comes in. And uh, it, 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 especially Toronto, I mean, Edmonton, I think you're right. Um, but especially Toronto, like it, it, when they come in, it's like the, the entire, the entire narrative of the game is only about what the Toronto Maple Leafs did or didn't do. It is very rarely about what the Islanders did or didn't do. And uh, you know, I get it. They're, they're covering that team and, and whatever, but yeah, you know, you're right. It, it is very annoying to, to hear that. And um, having said that, Conor David is amazing. He's- yeah, uh, no one's trying to take that away from him. It's yeah, it's yeah. just silly to me. I think back to the to the Red Wings game last year, or was it last year? I don't know. Which, I can't. Which, I, which team? The the uh, the well, what was the, what was the game where Grimaldi scored like you know four goals in the game? Who was that oh against? the four goal? Yeah, what was that? Who did they play? I'll look it up real quick. That's. Uh, my memory is failing me this morning. I wasn't planning on talking about it. I would have had some notes ready, but it was Red Wing, yeah, seven one. Yeah, so imagine, imagine after that game, just a, a soul crushing loss, just devastation, right? You, you and I were like, hey, let's let's go talk to let's go talk to the Red Wings, and and we go in there, we're like, so tell me what it's like playing against Rocco Grimaldi. I mean, that's apparently, not going to go over well. Apparently, the way you're talking, we're drunk in this scenario. So. <laughs> Yeah, let's get talked to this. We're gonna go down to the Red Wings. <laughs> okay, so let me let me try that again. Let's say that we were we were going. It's like, oh, Alex, maybe tonight instead of going down into the Predators area, we should go talk to the Detroit Red Wings personnel about how good Rocco Grimaldi is. Does that seem like a plan to you? And you were like, Yes, Sean, I agree. That's the best thing we could do. Yeah, we go down. We ask those questions. We're all over. We're we're one of those like, look at these idiots, you know. Yeah, like <laughs> I just I don't see that playing the same way. No. Um, if anybody else did it about any other player, any any American team for sure, and maybe half the teams in Canada too. But <laughs> it just it just blows my mind that you're going to go and and talk to the coach of the team that just got blown out by somebody and be like, so was it like playing against him? Oh, it's it, awesome. It's, I loved it. I love watching strong goals against my team. Come on. Give me a break. Speaking of games, the Predators have four of those this week. The They start tonight with uh, a road game in Chicago. Very interesting, interesting game tonight for the Chicago – for the National Predators because the Chicago Blackhawks just fired their coach, Jeremy Colleton. So they have a new coach. I think it's like Dave something, David something, David King. Is that right? I don't know what it is. Some guy. And uh, that's kind of a tough position for the Predators because it, it does feel – I mean, I don't I don't have any stats to back this up, but I feel like 
teams who've just fired their coach and have a brand new coach come in usually to play well. However, if you remember the Predators when they fired Laviolette, they got destroyed by the Boston Bruins in John Hines' first game. That was it, I do remember that. Was that was that the uh was that the night that Trenton fought Shara too? Oh, was it? I don't know. I think it was. I, I, I feel think I bet that was. was in Boston. Look, it's Maybe been a not. while. Maybe not. It's been a while. Um, I, I don't know. So they play Chicago tonight. Now the Predators really should win that game. The, the Blackhawks have been terrible, but I kind of just have this funny feeling that, that Chicago is going to come away with a win there. I, I well, don't know you why, think they've got? I mean, think about that organization and what they've been going through. I mean, yeah. take take all of that out of it and say, just think about the players on the team right now. I mean, you got a guy yeah. like Seth Jones. He's just signed a massive contract. Um, the team is not reaping the benefits of that contract at all. You've got Mark Andre Fleury, who's just oddly there. Like, well, I don't even know what that is. Um, they've got to feel like, all right, look, <laughs> things are bad organizationally, yeah. team-wise. We just lost our coach. We got to do something. We got to do something. I happen. really have seen. I mean, I feel like I've seen it a ton. I remember when Boston fired their coach when they fired uh, Claude Julian a few years ago and had uh, Bruce Cassidy come in. Boston went on this tear where they won like five or six games because they just felt like they were unleashed from this, uh, this prison. Um, True. You see it with, uh, I mean, look, look, look at what happened with, uh, with, with Pittsburgh when they, Pittsburgh fires their coach. And then uh, um, uh, I forget his name now that the current Pittsburgh coach goes on and wins two Stanley cups in a row. Yeah. And uh, Tampa, same thing happens there. Uh, they fire their coach. John Cooper comes in, and they they win some Stanley Cups. Like you, you do see this happen, um, and that's why I've had this strange feeling about tonight that the Chicago Blackhawks might beat the Predators. Then the, uh, two days off, and then the Predators play in Dallas on Wednesday, and then Thursday against St. Louis. I think we'll probably see Dave Riddick in one of those games. If I had to guess, they'd probably put him in the St. Louis game, but I don't know. I. I Maybe they'll yeah, because then they Soros would still have two nights off. So Soros Soros probably starts in Dallas. Riddick probably starts St. Louis, assuming nothing else happens. And then Saturday they get a home game. Uh, they're back from their road trip against the Arizona Coyotes, who are also bad. Uh, they're actually worse than Chicago somehow. And um, yeah, so so two. I mean, at least two very winnable games. Maybe three if you consider Dallas uh, in this week for the Predators. Um, four games uh, in, in the week, and that's uh, it's pretty pretty important. Again, Predators have won five or six games. Maybe they can stretch this into a, a nice little tear. That, that would be great. I, I would love to see it. I'm excited to see Riddick play. I mean, that's that's one of the things, I think, with the beginning of the season or even in the offseason when they signed Riddick. I said, oh, he's going to be a good backup. I, I'll be happy to watch him. I mean, we're all dealing with, in different ways, um, Pecorino's retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I, I'm excited to see him play. I, I'll go ahead and say I checked. That was definitely the the interim head coach game was when they had the Trenton fight. Okay. Um, okay. I was, it was January 7th. And I want to say that that was the, the one game when it, uh, who did they have? Was it Lambert who was coaching that game? Well, I think I, it was, I think, I mean, John Hines was there. He, he was he, there. He, he barely met everyone, but yeah, it was like it was like an interim weird situation where he was like <laughs> behind the bench, but he barely even knew his players' names. I mean, he was, I, I, yeah. I recall him doing a lot of this. Yeah, he was just looking around. Right. Just, was, oh no! This, oh, another one. 
And then, it's and then the... Bad. Oh, then it's rough. All right, that's going to do it for our show. Lots of good stuff here. Uh, you can check all of our hockey coverage at a2csports-dash.com. You can also check out On the Forecheck as well, where you can reach Sean and all of, all of the On the Forecheck folks. Follow me on Twitter at AlexDarty1. Follow Sean on Twitter at SCSOTF. And we will see everyone next week.